This is Inside the Times. I'm Susan Lehman. Gail Collins writes a twice-weekly column for The New York Times. She's been called the funniest, serious political commentator in the United States, and the words national treasure pop up a lot when readers talk about Gail. She joins us from Cleveland today to talk about politics and culture and to answer a selection of readers' questions about the goings-on at the Republican convention. Hi, Gail. Greetings from Ohio. Ever seen a convention as zany as this one? No, I don't. You probably have to go back to you know the Whigs, Wig Memory Harris or something. There's this. This is unprecedented. What is the craziest thing you saw last night? Well, I mean, it, it's not innovative. The Ted Cruz thing was the craziest thing last night. I thought what was going to happen was that he was going to sort of make a speech and say at the end something about you know. And, we'll all join together for freedom or something like that. But instead, that really coy, jerky, you know, and vote for your conscience, it was was really surprising. And then the violent reaction from the crowd was also kind of fascinating. You wrote this morning that his ability to drive people crazy is unparalleled. He really is amazing that way. Somebody that can get that high up in the world of American politics and make so many people of his own party just see, it's just really fascinating. And he is an irritating guy. You have to admit, you look at Ted Cruz on TV, and this is an irritating guy. So I just saw him on TV saying that the Trump campaign knew in advance that he was not going to endorse the candidate. Why did they let him on the stage to not endorse Donald Trump? I think that was actually smart, given their options at that exact moment. The other option would be Donald Trump refuses to allow Ted Cruz his rightful place at the convention as the runner-up because he's too angry because Ted Cruz won't endorse him. I mean, this probably worked better for the Trump people than the other option. All right. Let's talk about something upbeat, like the Trump kids. Would you like to say anything (laughs) about them? The Trump kids, it's, it's a very interesting uh, you know, phenomenon. I've never seen anything like it before. I mean, on the one hand, it is a complete break from the rest of the Donald Trump that you see, because he obviously does adore these kids, and the kids adore them. And so all that is, is it, it's a new part of Donald Trump. On the other hand, it is very peculiar to be having a convention in which so many of the speakers are your immediate relations. Between that and the endless calls for the imprisonment of your opponent, it, it, it's much more like a campaign you would find in a third world country on those two fronts. Before we go to readers' questions, and they had a lot, I want to ask you what it feels like there with all of that, what you called the hating Hillary hysteria, the statements that she should be shot for treason, locked up, and who knows what. Well, it's weirdly much more boring than you would think with all of this, you know, sort of hateful statements and, and hysteria. I mean, the delegates, like most delegates at most conventions, are generally lovely people. The convention hall is in general not full. You do get the sense that there are a lot of delegates that are going home early. I'm presuming that there are people who are not in love with Donald Trump from the beginning, but there's not a great electric vibe to this convention, except when you have these peculiar moments like the Chris Christie and guilty, guilty, guilty moment and the the reaction to Ted Cruz last night. I mean, normally it was much more like the reaction you saw to Michael Pence, which was very 
cheerful and respectful, but not people hanging around to uh, take part in it. Paul Schwartz from Blairsville, Pennsylvania, in Brooklyn, New York, wants to know, if you had an opportunity to speak to Donald Trump, what would you say? I have had opportunities to speak to Donald Trump over the years, and I've never been a person who tries to talk politicians into anything. I mean, my job is sort of more to ask them questions and stuff like that. You know, you ask him questions in, in person. He's very, very affable. He's not a hostile electric figure in general. By the way, a lot of readers asked if there was any evidence that Trump read your column. Twice I have gotten letters from him that were torn off columns with notes written all over them. The first one was when was back when he was having a lot of financial trouble, and he was trying to get something out of the city. I forget what it was, and I wrote a column making fun of that, and I called him America's most famous thousandaire. And I got this thing back with my picture circled, and that was the one he wrote all over it. Face of a dog, no wonder you are angry, I would be too. And he misspelled too, T-O instead of T-O-O. And then I wrote about that at the Times when he was doing his, his Barack Obama was born in Kenya thing. And he then wrote back another one that was much more kind of affable, saying, oh, no, oh, dear, oh, no, not that. But then at the bottom of it, he wrote, and someday, something along the lines of, and someday I will run for president and I will win. And that was back, you know, about four years ago. So that's what he does. He lets you know. His word is his bond. Harry Nockberg from Pasadena wants to know if you could come up with three good things to say about Donald Trump. Well, we have really established that he's a good father. Can't take that one away. He's a lot more pleasant to be around than Ted Cruz. And he has a lot of energy. Lovely. Here's a question from another reader named Marilyn Mazer, who is from Reston, Virginia. She says, you have written a great deal about the historical constraints on women in America. Where do the Republicans' platform and the convention speakers fit into the narrative of women's lives in America? There's no way that anybody who's watched Donald Trump in New York over the years thinks that Donald Trump is in his heart a social conservative. Uh, He's just not. His attitudes toward women in some ways, are very offensive. But his attitudes toward the women that he works with or that he hires, I mean, I have never heard any particular complaints about that. He clearly has, you know, encouraged his his oldest daughter to rise up in his business. And he, he didn't until five minutes ago care at all about reproductive rights issues, except that he supported Planned Parenthood a lot. So there's that. There's Donald Trump own interests. And I think as a reflection of that, you saw in this particular convention a lot more of career women talking about their jobs and a lot of people who are living, or at least some people who are living unconventional lives sexually and stuff like that. On the other hand, they are towing the party line as far as reproductive rights, and he's not done anything whatsoever to try to tomp that down. So the message of this convention is no abortions, we're not going to talk about control, we're just not going to go there. And the Donald Trump life view, I think, of these things is different from the one of the convention. You've been to other conventions before. Aside from women's rights, are people talking about issues and about Donald Trump and the campaign's 
ideas about various issues, about terrorism, about law and order, about foreign policy? I must say that in most conventions, you don't spend most of your time talking about issues. You spend your time talking about politics or if it's a happy convention where the parties are that night. But it's not a centrally issue-driven thing by that point. But this one has been remarkably issue-free. I mean, there's a lot of complaints, endless complaints about where the country is now, but they're very big in general. The economy isn't good enough. There aren't enough jobs. We're letting ISIS get away with stuff. But as to any kind of actual specificity about what to do about any of these things, we are even more than a normal convention, completely detail-free. I was thinking last night when Mike Pence was talking and kept mentioning the deficit and how you know, we were into something about the deficit. Donald Trump's tax plan right now would explode the deficit. And when you ask him about that, which you aren't at the convention, it's, he's very vague about how something will be cut somewhere somehow to make this all work out. But I, I have no sense, really, of for the most part, about what Donald Trump would specifically do about anything coming out of this convention. There are a lot of readers who depend on you for your reliable good humor. Is it easier to do your job when you're talking about a convention that offers as many zany antics as this one has? Well, for journalists, you can't get better than this. This is by far the most replete with weird happenings convention that I've ever seen. I mean, none of this stuff has ever happened before. Uh, even the candidates showing up and bounding around all over the place is not something that we've seen before. So I'm presuming that the convention in Philadelphia with the Democrats is going to be less rich with detail. And I can imagine a lot more journalists sort of walking around you know, looking befuddled, uh, particularly people like me who are columnists trying to look for some zany thing. <laughs> some juicy little morsel. As I was watching, I wondered about Chappaqua and what the Clinton campaign and the Clinton family were thinking as they watched this. Do you have any thoughts on that? I'm imagining this was working out really well for them. I'm sure they were glued, many of them anyway, were really glued to the evening's proceedings. I mean, there's a, now everybody knows there's quite a hunk of conventions you could skip over. You look at the list of speakers, and unless you're really into it in a, an obsessive way, looking for something weird to happen. You can just wait until like 8.30 or so before you even tune in. But, it, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure she's having a not bad time. This is not a bad convention at all for Hillary Clinton. Although it is weird, I'm sure, to hear people calling for your, you know, arrest, imprisonment. And, uh, to say that you're a friend of the devil. Yeah, the friend of the devil was pretty interesting, although I, I don't think she would have felt very threatened by that particular remark. But, I mean, the fact this this lock-her-up thing, I could see going through the entire campaign becoming a big mantra. That's not good for the country. It's not good for the country where you encourage one party's rank and file to feel that the other side is not only illegitimate but totally illegal. It's really not a democratic way to run a country. With respect to the devolution of political discourse, W. Kitchen in Kentucky wants to know, is our political system a failure? How else do you explain our, quote, choices for president? Well, we've made some very good choices over the years, and I've never thought of the system as a failure. It's This year is a very strange year, and the thing we're going to have to be asking ourselves as this evolves and, and goes on is, 
are we on the one hand witnessing a period in which because of certain economic or social issues, people are revolting from the normal, particularly on the Republican side, from the normal establishment and creating something new or different that will go on no matter who wins the election? Or is this not actually about issues at all so much as it's about the change in the media? Is all this weird stuff that's happening this year on the Republican side, you know, this desire for you know a guy who's mostly just interesting, he's exciting because he changes his mind every day and you never can imagine what he's going to say next. He's a reality TV star. Is that because we become sort of a Twitter-oriented nation in which everybody can grab hold of everybody else who's like-minded out there and follow anybody who, you know, is, is the most outrageous. When you're competing like that for every eye and for attention, things tend to get very weird. Every time in American history, we've had a period in which there's a lot of media fighting for the public eye. Like there was in the early early 1900s when you had suddenly massive numbers of newspapers in the country, and every town had like six papers, ten papers, and they were all competing for the same minimal number of ads and readers. They were crazy. They had were lunatic, and you wonder if this is actually much more about the changing economics and technology of communications than it actually is about any kind of political thought at all. Judging from reader mail, you won't be surprised to know that most of the readers mentioned Mitt Romney and your repeated reference during the last campaign to his dog on the roof. Um, Ah, Seamus, Seamus. I do miss that dog. Apparently, so do lots of your readers, and they want to (laughs) know, is there any kind of equivalent in the Trump campaign, do you think? I don't know. He had a weird thing with a racehorse once that he bought and then renamed Trump. (laughs) (laughs) And it didn't end well, but unfortunately, Donald Trump does not seem to have pets. If only he had a cat or something, but I don't think there's much there. Hillary Clinton has a lot of pets, but they've never done anything interesting. <laughs> All right, we're going to send you back to the convention, but last question, Gail. This one comes from Terry Miller in Michigan, who wants to know, how do you keep your astounding sense of humor in these troubled times? You know, when I started out, and I was a local reporter in New York, and there was a bad time in New York, and all those horrible things were happening, and I was ranting and raving. And then one day I just sort of got up and thought, you know, I'd, I'd rather find a way to write about this stuff that doesn't make people want to throw themselves out the window when they're having coffee in the morning. So I do tend to look for the the more cheerful side. And frankly, you know, it's it's this is a good country, and... Most of the people working in politics, although deeply imperfect, are not evil human beings. And it's always been a pleasure to hang out with them. Thank you very much for making us laugh and for your common sense and taking the cheerful side of things. Well, thank you for all the questions, and we'll talk again. This is Inside the Times. I'm Susan Lehman. You can subscribe to our podcast, and I hope you will, at iTunes or at Google Play. And you can find out more about The New York Times by visiting Times Insider at nytimes.com slash insider.